Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wim Lou, speaking to you after the Toronto Raptors. Hold on in the fourth quarter um, against the Detroit Pistons. Honestly, like it, it was a closer game than I guess you would expect. Um, the Raptors never really um, trailing by that much. The Pistons might have gone up by one or two points here or there, but they were close. They were within striking distance. And um, just because of the fact that Every drive to the basket was a foul call both ways. Um, you know, it did keep the game rather close. But the Raptors do ultimately win by a score of 119 to 118. Um, yeah, so first off, you know, unique circumstances, right? Nick's away from the team for personal reasons, so hopefully everything's okay there. Um, Adrian Griffin has uh, stepped in here as the, uh, you know, acting head coach for this game. Um, and, uh, I, I thought Griff did a good job. I, I really, you know, had no concerns necessarily from the coaching perspective or anything. I actually felt pretty comfortable with the way he handled it. I think for me, part of it was just the impression was he was very calm, uh, throughout the course of the game. And, you know, it was a calm game. I mean, you're playing the Pistons on a Sunday afternoon. Everyone's just trying to get out and, you know, spend the rest of their weekend or, you know, watch the Super Bowl or something like that. But, um, still, I, I thought it was notable that he was pretty calm, called the right timeouts when you needed rhythm too. And, you know, I, I thought uh, the game was was managed decently. Um, now, I think, you know, the interesting part with this game was just the, the Pistons are starting two guys who just aren't um, contributors at all. Um, and that's not to say that I've never seen Killian Hayes have good games or Jalen Duran have good games, but, like, these guys just weren't able to do anything of positive value for the Pistons. Um, obviously, you know, they've been uh, rebuilding for a while. And so, um, you know, they're, uh, this is the product of some of that. And of course they want to be able to, to rely on the young guys, but young guys were not able to produce today. Meanwhile, the Raptors are able to get pretty consistent production from Fred Abley, who started the game hot. Um, and then Pascal Siakam, who started the game cold, but in the second half, it felt like he made every single shot in the second half. Um, and then, of course, you got a pretty decent contribution from Scotty Barnes, who uh, hyper efficient tonight, uh, knocked down a key corner three in the fourth quarter there uh, in a one point game. Fred drove and then kicked it corner to uh, Scotty, who knocked it down once again, showing that Scotty in the fourth quarter, especially in crunch time scenarios, just has this laser focus. He's able to knock down the shot once again. Huge play again, turning it from one point game to a three or four point game in, in the last minute is an absolutely massive play. Fortunately, gave that back with an unfortunate turnover uh, where the Pistons were down five and just trying to commit the foul. And they brought a double to the ball. And uh, Scotty, instead of holding on and going to the free throw line, no problem, ends up throwing a cross court pass to Pascal, who, um, you know, wasn't able to receive the pass because a help defender was rotating over and got the steal and the Pistons got the three going the other way. Whatever. Uh, the point is, though, uh, Raptors were able to uh, hold on to the win. And I thought those three obviously just propelled the effort for you. Now, I think the biggest question tonight was what the starting five was going to be, because, you know, when you're thinking about Adrian Griffin and the decisions he had to make tonight, um, you know, he had to make a last second call there because of the fact that uh, Gary Trent Jr. was ruled out. Um, so he was unable to play in this game. And so you needed to change your starting five. In addition to the fact that OJ Anobi remains out, um, still doesn't really seem like he's fairly. I mean, you, who knows? Maybe he's close. Maybe he's not. But uh, ultimately, you know, we haven't seen him in, in, in a couple of weeks here. And um, yeah, so you, you, you don't have OG. You don't have uh, Gary. And so that's two starters you're missing. You got to make a decision. So what Griff ultimately chose to do. Uh, was roll with a a big, big lineup here. Um, so Jacoperto makes his first start um, coming back to the Raptors 
and then Precious Achua plays four. Scotty Barnes was in there as, you know, I, I would say he's more of a point guard in this game, especially the way he played. Pascal was more of a three, and then Fred was more of a two. And it was interesting because I think the, the positional assignments were actually fairly um, important in this case. Um, by the way, Gary's injury was a left calf strain. That's what kept them out. So, um, you know, the, the functions of the, the starting five here, I actually thought that um, each guy's role looked pretty clear to me. Like, obviously, Jacoperto is your center. Um, you know, Precious was kind of your three and D, you know, four. Or I guess traditional fours really don't exist anymore, especially because, you know, the, the, yeah, just that role doesn't really exist anymore. But, you know, he was kind of your three and D wing, kind of in the mold of OJ Anobi. I thought he struggled in that uh, specific role, but I'll get onto that in a little bit. Um, Pascal being your main creator, your first option, that's always going to be the same. Um, and you know, tonight, obviously had a slow first half where he shot two of nine, but finished game really strong. 28 points for 10 of 19 shooting is actually very efficient with 10 free throw attempts as well. And six assists. Um, and then, you know, putting Scotty as the point guard and then Fred as your shooting guard, I thought that worked really well. First off, I just think that, um, you know, Scotty at the top of the floor, directing traffic worked you know, just to get guys into their spots um, and the flow of the offense ran well. I think also, you know, having both Scotty and Jacoperto, two guys who are, you know, for the most part, looking to get other people involved, looking to set up plays. I know they only had four assists between the two of them, but I thought between their screening, between the way they got guys into their spots, between, you know, some of the plays that resulted in free throws, which don't actually count as assists, that the ball movement was actually fairly strong for the Raptors, especially to start the game. Um and, you know, it, it was flowing decently. Fred was obviously very hot to start and knock down some threes and got into the mid-range and got to the rim. You know, I think for him, attacking off ball, there is a chance for him to do that. Um, I mean, I would say there's a chance for him to do that at the start of the season as well. Um, but especially with a guy like Jacoperto who can, you know, uh, set a firm screen and get Fred open and, you know, have him curl to the ball and stuff like that. Like, you know, it just made sense, especially on a night where Gary wasn't there, right? Gary wasn't available because that that calf. And so... You know, you needed somebody to replicate a lot of that screens, uh, a lot of those like screening actions were for for a shooter, and that that ended up being Fred tonight. Now, of course, Fred also has the ability to to pivot over and handle the ball and, and create offense, and he did plenty of that as well. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, Fred was was you know pretty good. I mean, thirty five points, eight assists, you know, only one turnover, you know, pretty good production. Um, a couple of plays, obviously, where he drove, you know to the basket and, and couldn't make the layup here and there. And that's just something that has happened to Fred sort of throughout his whole career. And, you know, sometimes you'll force it. I think in this game, um, the whistle was pretty liberal at the basket. And so maybe Fred was just trying to capitalize on that. Uh, but ultimately, he did not get a lot of calls going downhill. In fact, you saw him complaining to the officials quite a bit. Um, but, you know, he, he was able to work that pick and roll. Him and Jakob, you know, I think he set up two of Jakob's three uh, field goals there, including a really nice feed in transition where uh, Fred hit Jakob early, trusting that he can go one, two, uh, and then shoot in the little floater. Uh, most bigs, you would mostly want to set them up right at the basket, but uh, you, you could trust Jakob in that situation. He, he's 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 got a good sense of how to get his shot off, even though he's not looking for it that often. But of course, when you're running the break as a big, you're probably going to look to get the ball and, and try to score at the rim, which he did here. Um and, you know, it, it, the formula looked decent. Now, I thought the bench didn't come in and give the Raptors the greatest effort. I mean, you look at uh, Detroit's bench. I, I honestly liked pretty much everybody who came off their bench in terms of what they did today. Um, you know, Hamidou Diallo making, uh, you know, having 18 points and 8 of 11 shooting, uh, 7 rebounds. I mean, he's been a guy who's n- not, 
he's not that accomplished as a player, but at the same time, every time he plays the Raptors, he's always a thorn in the Raptors' side. Obviously, a very, very athletic guard. I believe he won the dunk contest once, too. Um, but yeah, definitely that level of athlete. Um, and then, yeah, you know, he was clinical from the mid-range. In fact, we even saw him spotting up in the mid-range, which is so rare for a guard these days. I, I was like, what decade are we in, man? That looked like a 2002 play where there was a driving kick to a shooting guard at the elbow and Diallo knocked it down. I mean, he was good at those. So I suppose that is one way to play basketball. But yeah, that used to be a lot more commonplace than uh, what it is now where everyone's obviously behind the three-point line. Um, but yeah, him, Burks was really awesome when he first came in, just was like a, just immediately drained back-to-back threes, got the the Pistons back into the game because the Raptors starters were able to thoroughly outplay Detroit's. I mean, again, I think Detroit's starting lineup, you know, when you have Duran in there, when you have Hayes, those guys aren't giving you anything really positive. Raptors were able to torch those guys, no problem. I mean, you look at the plus minuses, they're pretty telling in this case. Hayes minus 13 and 21 minutes, Duran minus 23 and 21 minutes. Raptors were able to attack the Pistons starting lineup because they had two weak guys in there. But when the Pistons started bringing guys off the bench, all of a sudden, you know, their, their lineup looked a lot more balanced. They had a lot more shooting. Even Corey Joseph and Isaiah Livers, even though they only made one shot each, both played good pressure defense, um, which, you know, at times was sort of a factor for the um, for the Pistons. I mean, look, listen, you just need some hustle guys, right? And those guys were definitely in there giving energy. And, you know, the Raptors bench, I mean, you know, sometimes you just don't really see the the flow and the pattern from these guys. Of course, you are missing two starters in uh, OG and, and, and Gary. And so you got to reach down into the rotation a little bit. I was curious to see how... Um, you know, Coach Griffin would uh, handle that. And, you know, the response here today was to extend it to nine. He could have easily kept it at eight, um, but he decided to go with nine. And he gave, he, he, he gave Delano Banton that chance to uh, not just be in the rotation, but also not play the 905 today. The 905, I think, was playing at the same time as the Raptors. Coloco was down there along with some of the two-way guys. So Delano got that chance. And, um, you know, I, I didn't think he showed much at all in, in, in those two shifts, but at, at least you were able to buy those nine minutes. Um, I thought Malachi also had a slow start as well, but I liked the way he was able to drive and kick. You know, he was looking to attack closeouts a lot more than just firing from three. Um, and when he would get downhill, um, I thought he had chances to go for layups at least two, three times there where he made a really quick, decisive uh, drive off the catch. Got himself downhill and whatever, man. I mean, obviously, he's going to struggle to make layups sometimes just because of his size, similar to Fred in that case. But uh, Malachi was looking for the kickout, and sometimes, you know, I, I would have rather just him made the layup. But still, I thought Malachi brought purpose to the offense, brought clarity to the offense, knocked down a big three at the end there as well, which was, uh, you know, definitely very important because you saw, you know, Fred was about to check in, and, you know, the, the Raptors were in a tight position there in the fourth quarter with the Pistons, and Malachi came down the floor. Uh, pulled up for three, which I believe extended the lead to eight. And then on the next ensuing play, Delano jacked up a bad three. And then the ball ricocheted to Chris Boucher. So the offensive rebound was good. But then Chris Boucher immediately caught the rebounds, took a step behind, a long step to get behind the three-point line and jacked up a three. And I'm just like, that is a horrible shot, especially in that moment against the Pistons. But thankfully, I think Delano's, or Malachi was able to come in and, and win one of those rebounds and, and that, eventually it led to Scotty being set up for the reset where Scotty got to the free throw line for two of his 10 attempts there. And so I think, I think Malachi played decently. Um, I like the way that they were able to extend the rotation here. Now, what I don't necessarily like, and part of this is just the way the Raptors started is that the Raptors still played a lot of lineups that featured Thad Young at center. There's nothing against that. I think he plays really well um, in his role. I think he knows who he is. Clearly he takes the right shots. I mean, it was unfortunate. He shot a th- corner three, like, 
maybe 10 feet today. That was a bit of a weird one. The ball just probably slipped out of his hand. But, you know, I think Thad knows his role, plays it well. But I don't think the position Thad should be playing right now is at center. And I don't really see a need for, especially now that you have Precious and Jakob Proto available to you. Um, you know, I, I think Precious and Jakob could split the 48 minutes at center and you should be pretty happy with those results um, because of the fact that you have consistent rim, um, protection with those two guys. Now, of course, you needed Precious today to play against Bogdan Bogdanovich. He was the primary defender against him or not Bogdan, not Bojan Bogdanovich. Um, so, you know, it, it was a little bit hard to sort of um, only match up Precious with um, uh, Bojan while also having him play center because obviously Bojan's not playing center. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I just thought that uh, uh, still uh, the, the lineups with Thad at center. The reason I don't like them is because, look, I, I don't mind Thad guarding on the wing or even on the corners that much because of the fact that, OK, if he gets beat and he doesn't get beat that much more than everyone else, to be honest, the Raptors have a real issue with containing dribble penetration in the first place. As we saw with the Pistons scoring 118 points, a lot of that was just driving um, and they shot 51 percent from the field. So they just weren't able to contain the drive. But. You know, yeah, Thad might give up a couple of blow-bys here or there on the perimeter, but I don't like Thad Young being your last line of defense because unless he takes a charge, which is really just like a one, you know, once a game at best kind of thing, um, you're just not getting a lot of rim protection from him because no one's afraid to shoot over him, and he's not really able to jump over and, and contest. His rebounding is, is fine. I would say probably below average for a center, but it's ultimately that's my concern. You don't really have that you know, rim level of rim protection. And, you know, so you, you had to lean on that a little bit. You had to play him at center. The Raptors largely got away with it to some degree, but at the same time, you know, it is a risky look. I think, especially when the Raptors have more of their players available, um, you know, you, you probably want to shift that around a little bit. Um, and then Chris, I, I thought Chris made some, obviously some highlight plays. I mean, he blocked a corner three, which was huge. Um, it's always very impressive to see anyone do that. It was also a play where um, in transition, uh, he was able to, at first time, he picked off the cross-court pass, I think from Hayes, uh, took it the full length of the floor, Euro step around his defender, and then dunked it with two hands while being undercut from behind midair by Isaiah Livers. So a bit of a hard fall there as well. A bit of a scary play, to be honest. I mean, don't cut undercut a guy. If you have no chance to block him from behind, why are you trying to do that and knowing that you will take away his landing space and ma- making him hard, fall hard? Just don't like that kind of play, but... Still, um, you know, that was a highlight play. There's another play in the fourth quarter where Pascal uh, was trying to go behind the back because Corey Joseph was in his way in transition and went for the swipe. Pascal went behind his back, lost the ball, but the ball literally, as he was putting it behind his back, even though he lost it, it flipped perfectly to Boucher, who caught it on the move and dunked it. Uh, And it was a great play um, just because of the the humor involved in it. Pascal afterwards was pretending like, you know, that was what his intention was, um, holding up the goggles and everything like that. Clearly, he knew, obviously, that that was a happy accident. Um, So there were good plays from Chris Boucher, no doubt, though. But there were also a number of plays. I mean, that three, I thought, that he jacked up wasn't a great idea. I thought a lot of loose balls around Chris's vicinity that he wasn't able to track down, including one in the fourth quarter where, you know, Chris... Um, the, the, the rebound went to him and he had, he was on the outside of Corey Joseph was boxing him out, but the rebound had jumped out quick. And so it, it, it flipped instead past uh, Boucher was on the inside now, um, closer to the ball. And Chris didn't 
dive on the floor for the ball. Like he got a hand to it, but Corey Joseph hustled harder. And obviously, guards are lower to the floor. They're able to sort of pressure a little bit. That's why you dive to it. Because even if you got tied up, who guess what? You have Chris Boucher in a jump ball. You're pretty happy with that, especially if it's against Corey Joseph. But instead, um, you know, Joseph is able to tip it, tip it again, win the, the loose ball outright, and then hit it ahead. I think to Diallo, Pascal tried to swipe in there. Diallo avoided him and then went to the basket for a dunk. And there were just plays like that in the fourth quarter where when you think about why the Raptors needed to, you know, um, play in this late game scenario against a team like Detroit, that's why. The the fourth quarter play just wasn't solid. You know, you got guys jacking up threes like Delano and Chris, which is like, look, listen, second quarter, first quarter even, fine, go ahead. And if you make one or two of those, maybe take the next one. But, like, in the fourth quarter when neither of you have made a three, like, why are you taking threes in that situation? That's not a good look, right? Especially not a good look because the Pistons go the other way and Boyan Bogdanovich knocks down a three, right? And now it goes from a 10-point game where you have a chance to maybe push that uh, advantage to now a single-digit lead, or and now you have to call timeout. And this is where I did like where uh, Coach Griffin, you know, managed his timeouts here because it felt like he, first off, he used all his timeouts, um, which is not unusual in a close game, but he used them with good purpose, right? There was like, there was that play with about seven minutes left where you, you jack up some bad threes, you give up a three. Absolutely. You call timeout situation, get the guys out, get, run a good play. And the play right after that, I really appreciated it. So, um, very simple, but they had Pascal uh, station strong side on the inbound. The ball reversed to the weak side. And then Pascal cuts across the lane, maybe with a screen or without a screen. But the point is to get in the ball in the post. And the first time they ran it, uh, the Pistons committed the foul, right? And the camera panned over to uh, Griff, who, you know, did the the lasso, like the finger wave thing, like just run it again. They did the same thing again. They got Pascal the ball in the post in the exact same spot. They didn't foul him this time because obviously they're not going to commit the same foul, you know, two times in a row. Um, and then Pascal gets to a spot, catches the ball, makes a move, gets fouled, goes to the free throw line. And even though he made only one of two, I like that idea, right? You just missed some threes by some questionable three-point shooters. They hit a three. They got to momentum. You cut off the momentum. You call that timeout, and you set up a play for your best player to get a good shot. And that's exactly what happened. So I think that that was a good situation there. I thought there was a late three. There was a late timeout by the Raptors, I think, with maybe two, three minutes left. Um, it wasn't necessarily the use it or lose this situation because it did cost the Raptors that timeout, but it was a good one. Um, the Pistons were making that run, and um, you know you had to uh, you you had to you know make sure you get something decent, and, and they were able to to settle in the offense. I thought the Raptors' fourth quarter offense down the stretch was actually quite good for once. Um, part of that is because of the fact that they played and they trusted each other on on uh, on offense, right? Because some of your last plays, when you think about it, um, you have. You know, Fred driving and kicking to Scotty in the corner for three. Then you have a driving kick to Precious in the corner who has Bogdanovich on him. Uh, an aggressive drive by Precious to um, force Bogdanovich to step up and cut him off. And then a spin back you know, going baseline for the layup. Just a huge play there. And again, you know, these are not necessarily the top options that the Raptors usually go to in terms of usage in the fourth quarter or in crunch time. But they were able to trust each other. Pascal also got you a, a myriad of mid-range jumpers. I mean, anytime the Raptors got Pascal the ball in the mid-range in the second half, he was making them. And I liked how often the offense flowed through Pascal, you know, down the stretch. Because, look, listen, it's not just about the fact that, okay, you got to give the Pascal the ball each time and clear out. I mean, they do that decent uh, a decent amount anyway. But, you know, you, you got to at least let the offense go through him a little bit because he's going to generate the best advantages. And when defenses are overplaying him or taking him away or cutting him off or whatever, that's where the other opportunities are going to be opening up. 
And Pascal generally takes good shots. So even if he misses, you can probably be in good rebounding position to attack those, right? So that, you know, in comparison to the game where they lost against the Jazz, where Pascal only touched the ball twice in the last five minutes, like this makes a lot more sense. And one of those, by the way, was only with five seconds left in the shot clock. I'm not going to get over that Jazz loss, by the way. That one was a horrible loss. Um, but, you know, the Raptors were able to run their offense efficiently. Now, the issue was the Pistons were able to get to the basket over and over again. Very similar to um, the problem that occurred against Utah, I guess. So I think offensively, at least they got that better. Um, but defensively, it was the same issue. The Pistons were able to drive through guys so easily. The Pistons got hot from three early on. Um, some of that was just like, OK, bad luck. Like you leave Isaiah Stewart open for three because you even though he has developed somewhat in that direction you still are willing to let him take some threes and he was able to knock down three of those and then Burks knocks down some contested ones and then Ivy makes a couple of threes and then Bogdanovich you were trying to run him off the three anyway um so because you're running him off the three he's a very smart player he's able to just attack the closeout and get to the basket and the Raptors just really struggled to time and 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 first off control the drive but also just like time their help defense to come over in time. That's why you had guys like Yakaperto fouling out in 25 minutes, which, by the way, you know, I'm not even trying to say ref conspiracy. I'm just trying to say that Yakaperto in two games has come into the Raptors, has committed five fouls and now six fouls. I think he's only played like 40 minutes. So you're talking about like 11 fouls in, in less than a game's worth of playing time. And if, on top of the fact that Yakaperto wasn't even in that much foul trouble when he was in San Antonio. He literally has this is the first time he's fouled out all season. He's been healthy. So regardless, you weren't able to time your help right at the basket. Uh, and between Ivy and Bogdanovich, and I, to a lesser extent, Burks, although Burks was mostly trying to attack with the jumpers, um, you know, you just weren't able to contain the drive. And, you know, that's that's where it's a little bit disappointing. Like, you you do feel like, you know, do the Raptors just need to work on things like their simple man-to-man defense? Like, you know, are they able to contain dribble penetration or do they always are they always in that mode where they want to rotate and get into help scenarios? Because that's that's going to be very exhausting. It's going to put a lot of guys in foul trouble and you got to really time it up right, especially with a new guy coming in like Jacoproto. You know, can you play a little bit differently to not just give up the drives? But at the same time, you got to get, you know, credit where it's due. Like Bogdanovich, the amount of times he was able to attack the closeout, not even closeout, Precious would just play up tight on him because of the fact that, you know, he's, he's a threat to pull up for three. Bogdanovich would just drive, keep Precious locked on his shoulder, and then go up for the shot. And you know what? Bogdanovich is, like, not not a small player. He's, like, 6'7", at least, right? Precious is only 6'8". And as much as Precious is athletic, when you when you eat that first bump, it's very hard for you to then jump up and contest. And so Bogdanovich knew that, and he was able to use his physicality, his guile, his uh, his three-point shooting to his advantage, and he was able to get to the rim repeatedly. I mean, he had 33 points with 11 free-throw attempts. He was the most efficient scorer in this game, in a game that involved Pascal and Fred, right? And and, and that came against Precious Achua, who's a very good defender. So, you know, he, uh, the Raptors struggled to contain the drive there, and that's ultimately why the Pistons were able to come close, right? You know, Bogdanovich driving to the basket a couple of times to answer, also knocked down a big three. Um, Ivy, same kind of deal, you know, dropped to the basket a couple of times, also set up a three as well, or knocked down a three. So it, it was a it was a bit of a hairy uh, finish, but at the same time, you know, the Raptors were able to close it out. A couple of big plays there. I think Precious got fouled um, on the intentional foul um, when the Raptors were up three. He made one of two. He missed the first one, so he put all the pressure on himself to turn it from a one to two possession game. He knocks it down. By the way, that was another play where the Raptors used their last timeout on that. So the Pistons had come down. Um, 
you know, the, the Raptors had committed that unfortunate turnover with Scotty making that pass instead of just holding on and drawing the foul. Um, the Pistons come back and knock down the three. And now all of a sudden they're guarding the inbound. The first inbound play, I believe um, it got stripped out by uh, Isaiah Livers. Um, and it was close. Like for, there, it was a chance that that could have tapped off of Fred, but Fred pulled his hands back and instead it was Raptors ball. The Raptors call that timeout, drop a play, and they're able to um, advance the ball. Am I thinking about this right? I think so. No, no, no. This is the previous play. But regardless, regardless, forget that. But regardless, it was, it was a one-possession game. The Raptors used their last timeout to advance the ball. Now, this is a very standard play, right? You definitely expect this out of pretty much most coaches, unless you got a very, very clean inbound. Um, the reason you want to, you know, advance the ball for, for a number of reasons. Number one, you know, if you advance it, you can still pass into the backcourt. So it's very, very hard for the other team to deny the inbound. The second part is if you inbound in the from your own backcourt, there's a much higher chance for the other team to trap you. Um, where it's a little bit harder, I think, in the in the front court, especially when you can inbound to the backcourt and then sort of like, you know, disperse the numbers. Essentially, you're not going to have two people j- run with you to the backcourt and still be able to double you. So, um they advance the ball. They get the ball into the hands of Precious. And Precious, you know, is probably your fifth option to shoot the free throws there. But he's able to go one for two, make it a four-point game. And that's where the Raptors, you could just hear Griffin yelling on the broadcast, don't foul, don't foul, don't foul. Everyone just kind of standing back. And whatever, Ivy pulls up for three and knocks one down. And that makes it a one-point um, game. But it doesn't matter. The time has run out at that point, And the Raptors go home happy. And, yeah, overall, you know, like, uh, I, I would say that, like, look, it's not a very impressive win just because of the fact that the Raptors weren't able to lock in defensively. Clearly, they need to do more work on that front. They had a practice in between the the, 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 the Jazz loss in this game. And so um, I'm sure they were trying to implement certain things. I like what Griffin said in the uh, post game, or not the post game, the practice interview on Saturday as well, where he talked about how, you know, the Raptors needed to play better contained defense against uh, Utah. So I have assumed that they tried to implement a lot of that against Detroit. Clearly, the results weren't fully there, but there weren't as many breakdowns, I would say. I would say a lot of that was just the whistle was in, you know, the favor of teams that were driving in this game, because obviously, like, look at it. There was 68 free throws. So if you drove, you probably got a call. And the Raptors, by the way, drove plenty. And, and that was when Scotty and Precious got going the second half was by just attacking the rim um, and getting foul calls. But like, Still, I think there's more work to be done. And I think there's a lot of that has to just do with their man-to-man defense, how they're communicating switches if they're switching. They didn't switch that much in this game. Um, but, like, how you communicate on your uh, on, on defense, when the help is going to come over, the timing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think they can do better on that front. Uh, and I think most of all, the, the biggest thing you see night after night with the Raptors is just they're not able to contain dribble penetration. And they got to do better on that front. But ultimately, they got the job done. I think a couple more thoughts just before I wrap up the show. Um, I thought Precious, you know, it's interesting because this is a a big moment for him. Um, you know, it's 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 a bit of a change because of the fact that you brought in Jakob Proto. Um, that pushes Precious now onto a wing spot, right? Before that, he was definitely just playing center for you. And there's certain benefits that come with playing center. You're setting the screen all the time, so you're pretty much involved in most pick-and-roll actions. There's a lot of plays where the Raptors are able to find Precious in the pick-and-roll opportunities. Uh, when he's matched up with a center, he's also able to use his speed in transition and beat the opposing center. He's definitely way quicker than and more athletic than your average center. So there's that advantage as well. Um, and then defensively, you're playing mostly you know around the basket. You know your assignment is to help most opportunities and, and, and rebound. 
And and that's a very different skill set and a very, very different role as compared to now where Jakob Pertl is your backline defender, Jakob Pertl is your rebounder and all that kind of stuff, and Jakob is your main screen setter. He's doing a better job of all that than Precious, to be honest, um, except for maybe the rebounding. I think Precious might be just, just as good of a rebounder as Jakob. But Jakob clearly has more size and more veteran savvy to sort of get plays going, right? He greases the wheel a lot better than Precious. However, what this means now, Precious has to succeed in the wing um, position. And so how did he do today? Basically, today, he was basically asked to play the OG Anobi role. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought, you know, first off, if you had OG against Bogdanovich, I'm pretty sure Bogdanovich wouldn't have 33 points. Let's just say start there. But second of all, I think that, you know, there were a couple of plays. It didn't really feel as comfortable for Precious to contain drivers like a Bogdanovich, who's physical, can shoot the three, but also is able to draw the bump and get to the free throw line, right? So I think there was a careful balance for him to defend the uh, uh, Bogdanovich just drives. I didn't think he did a, did a good job of it. Bogdanovich beat him quite a few times, even beat him for a couple of layups at the rim, which absolutely should not happen. Um, but then I think also offensively, what that means is now Precious is waiting a lot in the corners instead of involving himself in the middle of the floor for the pick and roll. So he's got to knock down some threes. And a lot of times he was turning down the threes in this game. He only took two. And one of the two that he took, one of them was he... he First off, he was open initially on the catch, didn't take that shot at that time, took a step back to in, deeper into the corner, and then shot it up and it hit the top of the backboard. So it's like if you're going to play that 3 and D role, the D wasn't there and the 3 wasn't there. Now, of course, Precious finds other ways to contribute. And so there's a couple of plays where he's able to, to you know, get into the post and drive. And he had a really, really quick move where, you know, he went one-on-one against Bogdanovich in the post. Uh, uh, caught it in the in a back down position, quickly flipped it to a face up, and then a super quick move to to literally go right by him and go to the layup for a basket. Now, of course, Precious is in a in two three classes of athleticism higher than Bogdanovich, but still, I like the decisiveness of it. I like that he beat him with a spin move too. That was a crafty play at in, in the fourth quarter. So there were other ways that Precious was able to contribute, and he was able to rebound and attack the offensive glass for Toronto. So o- overall, good game for Precious, but. Still, it's interesting because he was. It's 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 going to be a shift because now that Yak is here, Scotty is not playing center anymore at all. Precious will play center sometimes, um, and mostly Precious is going to play on the wing. Scotty is going to play a point. So how do these guys did do with their roles? And you know what? You know, it was it was a bit of an adjustment, but I thought they played decently today. There's there's really nothing around that. I think they really did well, and of course in the fourth quarter, they're able to contribute with some clutch plays. So in order to wrap up the podcast. Um, your three stars from tonight's performance, um, I think it's pretty clear for me. I think the first star, uh, first star is going to go with Pascal, even though, okay, look, Pascal was only two of nine in the first uh, half. Um, and I, I thought that he just wasn't attacking enough. Um, you know, you definitely wanted to see him go at his matchups. The Pistons obviously did a great job of building uh, a wall around the paint. And so, you know, it was hard for everybody to get into the paint. I, will th- I thought at the start of the game. But at the same time, like, you know, you just didn't see that same intent. There's a lot of mid-range jumpers from Pascal, and he wasn't really, you know, switched on for those. Uh, 0 for 2 from 3 in the first half as well for 2 of 9, uh, with only 6 points on 2 of 4 shooting as well from the free throw line. Second half, Pascal Siakam goes 8 of 10 from the field, knocks down his 3, knocks down 5 of 6 from the free throw line, 3 assists, no turnovers, 19 minutes, hugely efficient, 22 points, and that's why I'm giving him the first star because of the fact that, you know, when he really, really turned it on, I thought, like, the Raptors as a whole made their push. Um, and got some separation and got themselves a double-digit lead. Now, of course, they still had to protect it, and ultimately it was whittled down to one possession, but, you know, I thought Pascal did well, and uh, he's your first star. Second star for me, oh, I had also had two chase-down blocks as well, which is cute. Um, second star for me is going to go to Fred. I, th- I mean, look, listen, 
I don't think Fred should take 26 shots. I think that, you know, people are very right to point out that fact of it. When you look through the, the tape, there are definitely three, four possessions where it's just like, okay, he didn't need to take this here, right? A driving layup here where he forced it. A couple, like, I think there are two or two or three of those. Uh, and then definitely there's like one super aggressive pull-up three when he was on a heat check. He had, was four for four to start the game. I think he knocked down two threes at that point. He just like walked on the floor and took a pull-up three with like 18 seconds left from 30 feet out. Missed it. Nothing sadder than a missed heat check just just play the game in the right way so the, you could take out those you take out the the heat check or uh, not the heat check the, the the full court heave that he took at the end of a quarter so you you if you just took out some of those inefficient looks you would actually end up with a really really good stat line right it wouldn't look like 12 of 26 it would look like 12 of 20 which would be awesome i don't think anyone will have any latitude to complain but at the same time i thought fred did a really good job in that shooting guard position you know i, I think that um you know, obviously Gary being out, you needed his outside shooting tonight. He was pretty much the Raptors' only consistent three-point shooting threat. And so for him to get up 13 attempts was huge. Um, I liked that also he was able to work pick and roll a couple of times with Jakob Pertl, get into the mid-range, attack the drop. The Pistons drop a lot. And so it made sense for Fred to have the ball and pull up for three in a lot of scenarios. And he knocked down, I think, at least two or three threes against the drop as well. So there's a good aspect in terms of just um, strategically, the ball should have gone through Fred a lot in this game as well. Um and he also had eight assists. So, you know, ultimately a really good one. Um, refs didn't really let him get away with any of his usual, you know, strips and stuff like that on the perimeter. But again, they called it a really tight game. So what can you really do? Fred was definitely pretty pissed about the whistle, though. I'm not going to lie. And then your third star is going to go to Scotty. Um, yeah, it's just how he played an overall really nice game. Um, first off, super efficient. The fact that he had 20 points on five or six shooting is outrageous. But it's because of the fact that he knocked down three threes, which is excellent. And he got himself to the free throw line 10 times, knocked down seven of those. Um, I, I like the way he set up the plays. Um, I just the only thing I didn't like was the turnover at the end there. Um, the overall, the turnovers four for him is is decently high. Like the Raptors, no one else really even turned the ball over. Like the Raptors only had eight turnovers all night. So pass, uh, for Scotty having four turnovers is, is a bit of a standout. But still, I, I thought he ran the point decently, got guys into their spots. Um, and then I like that when you needed him to see him take over a little bit or go aggressive, he was aggressive and he got to the basket and he knew that if it was single coverage against Ivy or single coverage against Livers or who, like this guy's, you're literally taking them to the basket and, and putting them under there and, and, and getting either a free throws or you're getting a dunk or, some, or a layup. And that's, I thought Scotty's approach in the moments that he tried to attack and yeah, uh, I have no issues with this one. This is a, this is a really nice performance. You know, this is almost, it's not second star because Fred was definitely much more involved. But I, I like the efficiency from Scotty tonight. Um, in that sense, uh, similar to Precious, I, I think defensively, you know, he's he had a hard job. He had to guard Ivy. You know, Ivy's a much smaller player, um, so he's able to sort of wriggle underneath, and also Ivy's very athletic. But still, you definitely wanted to see Scotty like do a little bit better of a job containing Ivy at the point of attack. But part of the reason why Scotty's guarding Ivy at the point of attack is because. Scotty is actually one of your better point of attack defenders at the moment. I think over the course of the season, he's really improved in that front. So, you know, I mean, the fact that Ivy got 18 points, I mean, some of that is obviously he, he made three threes, which, you know, whatever you, you can live with. But, you know, um, still, he was able to get to the basket a couple of times. I just think that there, there are marginal improvements to make for everybody in the on the on the on ball defense. But, um, you know, overall, good effort from the Raptors starters for sure. Your Gerald Henderson award winner, that's going to go to Alec Burks. I mean, it just, yeah, the guy came in and just set the tone and started knocking down some threes, drew some fouls as well. Um, just a really crafty player. I'm really surprised the Pistons didn't flip him at the deadline. I feel like a lot of teams could have used an Alec Burks. The Raptors could use an Alec Burks, for example. I can't imagine 
Um, they got great offers. Otherwise, they probably would have moved off of him. But like, yeah, for two seconds, like Alec Burks makes a lot of sense for a team to just come in. Um, obviously, teams that have less scoring off their bench, like Toronto, could use him more than most other teams. Um, but still, like, yeah, I mean, 21 points, three rebounds, two assists, a steal. Uh, knocked down four threes, six and nine shooting from the field, five or six from the free throw line. Just a very nice performance from him on the whole and all that in 28 minutes. And um, yeah, Detroit's bench, you know, hurt the Raptors bench. I mean, that's that's not a surprise. But at the same time, it is still Detroit and the Raptors still had to close this one out. But they did. Game's over. Raptors are back to four games under 500 and they got to continue to make this push. And, you know, they've chosen that direction. They want to try to win out um, the season and, and do something with it and maybe get into the play in and maybe get into the playoffs. So we got to watch to see how they try to approach that. And uh, hopefully they're able to to start racking up some wins and, and focus more on defense and um, just closing out games in the fourth quarter, because really they should be two and oh post trade deadline. But they completely blew one in a game that was so bad that I'm still kind of cheesed about it two days after. And then in this game, you know, it was closer than it needed to be. But, hey, listen, one-on-one, it is what it is. Um, we move. So that does for the podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Continue to rate, review, subscribe to the show. Uh, listen to the show Monday to Friday. Um, we will be taking a break after All-Star Weekend, but we will still have shows Monday through Friday of this week. So check that out. We'll have some special guests as we always do. And uh, yeah, lastly, just thanks to everyone for listening and uh, go enjoy the rest of your weekend.